No Exit with Nicholas Corice contains explicit language and content. Listener discretion is advised. So, what's in it then? Asked Phil, holding the little vial of brackish water up to the sunlight coming through the blinds. It looked like watered-down maple syrup and had wispy white pieces of stuff floating around on the bottom. When he shook it, it stained the glass before it dripped on down the side. Hang on, man, you're gonna make me lose count, said Mike, counting the little vials on the rack and then placing them back in the fridge. They clinked as he shoved it in the back, and then Mike placed a gallon jug of milk in front of them. It comes from the root of the Varga tree. It only grows in South America. People take it in their ceremonies. It's the root mashed up and distilled down, which I did here in the kitchen. The whole process takes about a week. I had to boil it for like three days, I think. Phil brought the vial down and rolled his eyes. Well, I guess that explains some of the smells lingering around in here. And it does what now? It relaxes you, dude, Mike said, sitting back at the kitchen island. He itched his beard and took a sip of the herbal tea in front of him. It cuts down on anxiety, depression, nervousness, all that. I'm telling you, it's good, and it's even been known to cure osteoporosis in certain breeds of dogs. You should try it. I'm going to be selling each of these vials for about 200 bucks once the word gets out. I've even been talking about a guy in the village who's ready to buy this stuff off me by the gallon. I'm telling you, this could take off, man. I mean it. It could be the next CBD, maybe even bigger than CBD. Yeah, said Phil. And I'm not even too sure about that shit. I mean, I think I heard somewhere that all it's really good for is helping epilepsy or something. I don't know. Ah, man, Mike said. You're always so skeptical about stuff. And I guess that's exactly why I wanted you to try it. I know that if I can convince you, I can convince anybody. And look, man, we would be getting in on the ground floor of something that the whole American public hasn't even heard of yet. I mean, let's think about CBD for a second, just to make a parable. This would be like finding out about CBD even before it hit the market. Wouldn't you have wanted to invest in that early before it hit every shelf in the country? Phil shook his head. First of all, dumb fuck, that is not how you use the word parable. And second of all, I still don't know. I mean, isn't this the type of stuff that's supposed to be tested and measured for safety and all that? Like in a laboratory? Not doled out in a kitchen by your dumbass friends? Hey, 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 said Mike. If we did everything like that, then Timothy Leary would have never discovered acid, am I right? If we go through the arduous, not to mention expensive route of getting everything tested and retested over again, it's just gonna sit in a patent office somewhere until the FDA gives it the okay. That could take literal years. And that's not before some drug puritans or Johnny Law steps in and makes it illegal or unobtainable for whatever stupid reasons. Look man, let me lay it down. It's like this. We get it out into the public, make a demand, and then all that stuff comes later, when we can secure a hookup and be the ambassadors of this stuff. I'm telling you, just try it. I had some in Belize, then I bought some from a dealer here in town. It's great. I've been doing a little every day. No hangovers, no sketch, it's cool. I had some this morning with my bowl of flax seeds and goji berries. Just try it once and you'll see. That's all I'm asking, man. You try it, you like it, we'll be partners. Then before you know it, we drinking this on a yacht somewhere in the South Pacific. Phil held the little bottle up to the sunlight and looked at it for a moment. Well, he said, I don't know about all that, but I guess I'll try it. If nothing else, I can just help you sling this shit in Central Park like a regular drug dealer would. I mean, I guess if it comes down to it, right? Sure, man, whatever, said Mike, nodding. That's what I like to hear. You gotta try new things, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, said Phil, I guess so. So there's one last thing I'm curious about. 
What kind of ceremony was this where you said you took this shit? Oh, um, said Mike, thinking. You know, it was uh, more like a rebirth ceremony, like a celebration of life. Some people would actually speak to their ancestors, I'm told. Maybe that could be you. Yeah, right, said Phil. Rebirth? You mean like death? So it's fucking death juice? Maybe I'll see my great-uncle Phil or Aunt Jenny and they can tell me stories about how Babe Ruth uh, used to buy an ice cream cone for a nickel, right? Real ancient wisdom? Mike stared back at his friend through glazed, half-open eyes and said nothing. Why, come on, and I'm the uptight one here. Soon after, Phil opened the door to his apartment and threw his briefcase down on the couch. He loosened his tie and kicked off his shoes. He found his remote on the coffee table and turned the TV on, though he could barely ever hear it because of the noise going on outside of his ground-level apartment, which was close to an intersection, under construction. Anytime he ever attempted to turn it up, the cranky neighbor upstairs would complain about it, so he always kept it low. It wasn't even 7 o'clock and he was hungry, but he didn't feel like going anywhere. He was tired and knew he would have a long day ahead of him tomorrow. Ordering food by this point was out of the question, and rent was due by the end of the week. He knew he would have to scrimp just in case things didn't plan out the way they should. He found himself in the kitchen eating a bag of old baby carrots inside. He looked around. He tried to think if he had any more booze in the cabinet, and remembered he killed the last of that off two nights ago after the double down at the office. His apartment felt especially empty tonight. He had a cat somewhere but hadn't seen it in a week. There was food in the bowl, but the cat was nowhere to be seen. He shook his head and sighed again. He went into the living room and got the little brown vial out of his briefcase. Then he set it down on the counter with a hard click and stared at it for just a moment. Crunching his bland carrots in his mouth, he said to himself, What oh, the fuck? Why not? He had been dancing to the song Shooting Star by Bag Raiders over and over for about an hour now. He did, however, have it very, very low so he wouldn't upset the neighbors. He had the window wide open and was wearing only socks, underwear, his unbuttoned work shirt, and his tie wrapped around his head. Only one or two people had actually stopped and looked inside, but he didn't care. At one point, he had his ear next to the speaker and was trying to feel the music in his skull as it played from the television on a nine volume, one time with the right ear, then another replay with the left. Now he was watching the sun go down from the apartment window. He couldn't see the actual sun dip down below the horizon, but he could notice the way the light reflected orange and red and then into pink and blue off the windows from the surrounding buildings. A cool air flew through the window and it felt good on his bare chest and face. For the first time in a long time, Philip Jean Roberts had felt a peace he had not experienced in quite a long time, if ever. He wanted to bottle this moment and carry it around with him in a tiny jar around his neck for all the time he had left in this world. He thought to himself he could have died right here, right now, and everything would have mattered, whatever mattering meant to him right now. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath of the cool dusk air into his lungs and exhaled slowly. When he had opened his eyes, a gray and white tabby cat looked up at him from the pavement and meowed at him. He smiled, scratched its head, then continued dancing in his living room, this time slower, like a meditative monk, on the coffee table, which supported his full weight when balanced on correctly. Later, Inside of his bathroom, he was scratching himself all over.
It felt so good to scratch. He scratched his head, his legs, under his armpits, his arms, everywhere. Everywhere he felt the tickle of an itch, he scratched. At one point he went to the bathroom and really dug into his balls and the space in between his balls and his asshole. He really got in there, raking the flesh with his fingernails. This, he figured, had to be some kind of side effect, but he didn't care. It felt so good to really appreciate something about your body that you take for granted, he figured. Just the simplest things. Breathing, moving, scratching. Somewhere, in some way, shape, or form, he thought there's people out there that can't do some of these things. And he felt such an amazing amount of gratitude to be able to feel it for himself right now. At some point, Shooting Star had stopped and the music streaming started playing a variety of drum and bass music. He lay on the floor, now partially in the dark, and scratched every part of his body to the beat of whatever song was playing. This made him laugh. If only Mike could see him now. In fact, Phil couldn't wait to tell Mike how this made him feel. He laughed harder thinking about this, and as he laughed, he dug in harder with his nails. This only intensified the high in his body. He didn't care that it was making bright red lines across his flesh. He couldn't stop, and he didn't want to. After a while, however, he really couldn't stop, and now he really, really wanted to. He'd kicked his television over to stop the music, and had been breaking the flat side of a piece of glass over his skin from the broken television. His nails had eventually lost their edge to them, and he was acquiring a small assortment of tools around him for the purpose of itching. The glass for the skin, a regular household screw for the scalp, and a cheese grater for the bottoms of the feet and hands. He was bleeding in places, but not really oozing. He was careful not to apply too much pressure. He was careful around his face, too, because he couldn't very well show up to work tomorrow with a bloody, scratched-up face. This wasn't fortunate, though, because he felt like the face was itching the most at times. For that, he simply heated up a washcloth with the hottest water he could get from the tap and scrubbed his face with it as hard as he could. His vision was slightly blurred, and he had been trying to find the means within him to stop itching for just a moment so he could call Mike. Mike should know what to do, after all. Mike was the one who convinced him to take this, and Mike should be the expert on this. He was not having fun right now. He was not drowning in wonder, and he was especially not having any other epiphanies than to never take strange drugs doled out from the fridge of your hippie friend's apartment. That pleasurable body high he once had now felt like swimming around in poison oak with the hangover from the cheapest liquor you could have ever drank, worse than drinking moonshine or even gasoline. Phil forced himself to stop itching his back with the meat tenderizer in his hand. He stiffened his whole body and took another deep breath. He felt like a million insect claws were poking him all over his body at once with their stubby little barbed legs. He had to concentrate. He had to find his phone. He had trouble keeping his eyes open because they stung so bad. He dropped to his hands and knees and started feeling around. He couldn't remember if he'd had dropped it on the floor, but that was the first place he would check because at some point he knew he threw it somewhere, thinking that it was a tether to every stress he had in this world. Eventually he found it somewhere in the corner of the kitchen and the screen was cracked. He managed to finagle with it just enough to locate Mike's number. After about two or three times of it going to voicemail, Mike finally picked up half asleep, and said, Hello? Mike! Mike! Oh, God, you have to help me! Phil said, digging into his wrist with his nails. He was having trouble keeping the phone steady. I, I can't! This, this stuff, man! It's driving me crazy! I can't stop itching! Does this happen? Do you know how to stop it? 
After a minute of, what, huh, and who is this, Mike finally pulled himself awake enough to actually remember who he was talking to. Okay, okay, calm down, Mike said. Look, a few bad reactions here and there is totally normal. You just, you just have to relax. I get a little itchy too after my first time. It's fine. You should take an aspirin or maybe slip on some orange juice and just try to rest it, okay? If you have any vitamin B12, take that too. No, man. No. Grinding his back onto a fork on the kitchen floor. I'm telling you, this is bad. It's really, really bad. I can't stop. I'm starting to bleed out in places, man. You gotta help me. I'm thinking I might have to call an ambulance here or something in a minute. It's crazy. No, 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 said Mike. Phil could hear him actually sitting up in bed now. Listen, listen man, don't do that. Listen, it's gonna be okay. I, I'll get you fixed up. Why don't you come down here? It'll be, it'll be all right. What? Said Phil. Go over there at this time of night? Are you crazy? You have no idea how bad this is right now. Why don't you come down here? I, I, I could. He could hear Mike struggling to find words. I just, I can't right now. Just come, uh, come down here, man. We'll, we'll get you good again. It'll be fine, I swear. Mike, said Phil, but Mike had hung up. Phil looked at the phone in his hands and then smashed it on the floor in frustration. Phil got up and made his way to his bedroom in between the itching and found a pair of loose cargo pants, some flip-flops, and a windbreaker. He had to wear something that was loose and airy. This was total bullshit that Mike was making him come over like this. After Mike set him straight, whatever that would turn out to be, vitamin B12 or whatever, he decided he would never speak to him anymore, and or kick his ass. On the way out, he grabbed the fork from the floor and even got another dirty one from the sink. It was cold outside tonight. The chill in the air might numb his skin some. At least, he hoped it might. He had to stop in the middle of the sidewalk every ten feet or so to itch his legs with his forks. He walked as fast as he could in between scratching. There weren't very many people out tonight, which was good, but the people he actually did manage to see looked noticeably scared when they saw him. A young couple taking a late night walk stared straight forward when they passed him, acting as if they were trying not to look. They were almost sweating as he walked by. He wanted to yell at them for some reason, but that would waste energy and take away from his scratching. People in cars were slowing down to look at him, and one of those people he did yell at. He pointed his fork at them, screamed, and they sped off. Phil was becoming more upset and angry. He felt like he could almost kill a person if they came at him in the wrong way. On top of all that, Phil felt like he was being watched. Not just by the stray gawkers here and there, but by something else. He swore he saw a pair of yellow eyes staring at him from the dark. When he took a second to look, they were gone. Same thing happened in the bushes at the park near Mike's, this time more than one. He picked up his pace and ran into Mike's building and told himself to stay out of the dark at all costs. There was too much going on right now to think about this. There was too much to think about right now, and it made him feel like he was losing his mind, as well as the skin on his own body. He couldn't focus on waiting for an elevator right now, so he decided to try the stairs. Even in the confined space of the stairwell, he could still feel eyes on him, from above and below. His head started to buzz like a bee, and then he realized it wasn't his head, but he was becoming more sensitive to the fluorescent lights. After what felt like much too long a time to be stuck in a confined stairwell, he'd finally reached Mike's floor. He opened the door out into the floor quietly so as not to raise any more suspicion on himself. When he got to Mike's door, he saw it was open just a crack. As much as he wanted to burst in right now, he stopped himself and listened in. He could hear him talking. Look, 
He's gonna be here any minute. Just tell me what to fucking do. Said Mike. It sounded like he was on the phone. Wait? Wait for what? Why would you guys... No, I don't... I think this is bullshit. Phil put a bloodied knuckle up to the door and knocked. Knock, knock, said Phil, itching the back of his head with a fork. Oh, shit, said Mike, trying to muffle his voice. I, I gotta go. He could hear Mike's flip-flops scuffle up to the door. When Mike saw Phil, he went completely pale. Phil, he said. Gob smacked, struggling for words. Jesus Christ, man, you look fucking... Like shit, said Phil. Mike just stood there, staring at him. Worse than shit? Like I fucking died? Mike was still staring. Phil pushed past him, fork still digging on the back of his skull. Who were you talking to? asked Phil. No, nobody, said Mike. Just a guy, just a... Oh, God, dude, what happened to you? How much did you take? Standard dose, pal, just like you said said Phil, and made his way to Mike's kitchen, where he dug around the drawer for something better to scratch himself with. Two drops with a glass of water, remember? I mean, that's probably what you had this morning, right? How come this shit didn't happen to you? Mike's eyes darted around. I don't, I, I, I don't know, man. Some people just have a weird reaction. Look, 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 man, sit down. Uh, sit on the, on the floor. I've got some spray here that might help you here. We're gonna get you through this, man. It's, it's, it's cool. Spray, huh? Let me see it, said Phil, trying to grab the bottle out of Mike's hand. When Mike saw that Phil was trying to touch him, he dropped the bottle on the floor and backed away. Phil picked it up. This here? This spray? This is chloroseptic. That's for people's throats, just in case you didn't know. Did a shaman teach you this, Mike? In the jungle? In a ceremony, maybe? So you were just gonna spray this shit all over me and hope it worked, weren't you? Or did you hope I would think it worked, right? Phil walked towards Mike as he stumbled over his own furniture to back away. Mike looked down for a second to navigate his way around a beanbag chair, and Phil got him by the throat. He threw Mike up against the wall. You need to stop bullshitting me, Mike, Phil said. Did you actually take this shit? Was I your fucking guinea pig? What were you trying to do here, Phil? Mike tried to muscle his way out of Phil's grip. But as he fidgeted, Phil only squeezed harder. Mike quickly stopped squirming once he realized he wasn't able to overpower Phil in any way possible right now. No, said Mike, choking on his own windpipe. It, it wasn't like that. I, I, I did do this stuff when I was in South America. It was a part of a, a, a tourist thing a, in, a, in a village. I get a little high off it, and then I spent the whole night staring at a campfire. That is true. Phil squeezed harder, and Mike tapped him on his shredded arm to ease his grip. Phil did not ease up on him. I, I haven't touched the stuff since I got anymore. I, I swear I was going to do something. I had a drug test on Thursday. Where did you get it, Mike? Said Phil. What's going on here? I, I bought some from these international goods smugglers because it's illegal to sell to anyone outside of this home country. If anyone knows I have it, I could do like a decade in jail. And those guys, those, those guys could kill me, Phil. Come on. Phil threw Mike down on the floor and kicked him in the stomach. Mike tried to get away, but he grabbed him and now pinned him on the floor. I swear I am going to kill you if you don't fix this shit right now, said Phil, squeezing him with both hands. What did you do, Mike? How do you stop this? Mike was struggling for air. You don't... I don't... I don't know what happened. I just did it like I said. I just read it on the internet about how to distill the root. 
It should have worked. I don't know. Just give me some time. I can fix this. I know a guy about 20 minutes from here who's a naturopathic healer. I bet he can do something. He owes me money. Phil squeezed and Mike started to turn blue. I'm gonna fucking kill you, Phil said through his teeth. Do you have any idea what you've done to me? Do you have any idea what this feels like? How about I scratch your damn skin off and you can see how it... Phil was cut off mid-sentence from the feeling of something cold going through his chest. He looked down and saw blades sticking out of his heart. He turned around on his hips and saw a man in a hoodie standing over him. Phil tried to swing at him, but the hoodie man grabbed his arm in the swing and stabbed him over and over again in the neck and chest. Blood squirted all over Mike as he scrambled off the floor. After at least a dozen more stabs to the chest, Phil dropped to the floor. Jesus, man, said Mike. What the fuck? Another man with a tattoo on his face went around the living room and grabbed Mike, twisting his arm around his back. He covered Mike's mouth with a dirty hand. The hoodie man wiped the blood off the knife on Phil's body and then pointed at Mike. He leaned in close to him and spoke softly. His breath stank like cheap cigarettes and dog shit. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna tell us where you put the rest of that shit we sold you, and we're gonna get rid of every last fucking bit of it, and then we're gonna have to find a place for that body, and you're gonna help us with that too. After that, you have approximately 12 hours to get out of this fucking city, and I'm telling you right here, right now, that I may change my mind at any moment, and that could be you lying face down on the floor in that pool of your own blood. Do you understand? Mike took a moment to process this with a hand still on his mouth and nodded. The man with the tattoo let him go with a shove. Mike stood there looking at him, then the hoodie man raised his bloodied hand out and said, Show us. Now. Mike straightened himself out, then led the men into his bedroom. He went into the closet and dug through the piles of dirty clothes until he reached a black garbage bag at the bottom. The hoodie man slapped the back of Mike's head and he flinched. Show me, he said. Mike undid the tie and opened it up, revealing five roots in the plastic bag. They were a dark black color and were a bit bigger than regular sweet potatoes. This better be it, said the hoodie man. Mike shook his head no and then shook his head yes. The tattoo man shoved him and said, hurry the fuck up. Mike made his way out of the room and into the kitchen, where he rummaged around into the fridge for the vials that he had made earlier on the rack. He put them down on the counter and looked at all the blood in his living room. It was soaked, like something you would see in an actual slaughterhouse. He felt a blank chill go through his very soul, then he had a strange feeling. Something he was looking at just wasn't right. What the fuck are you looking at? said the hoodie man. Did I just not tell you to hurry the fuck up? No, said Mike, staring. Some, something's wrong. So, something's missing. The hoodie man rubbed his forehead. What the fuck, Michael? What is it now? Where, where did he go? Where did who go? The men all looked at the floor. There was a man there. There was a man there. And now he was gone. Then a scream filled the air. It came from behind Mike and the hoodie man. Phil was behind him. His skin was pale, and his eyes had become white with a yellow gleam where his pupils were. He had the tattoo man in a headlock. The man screamed louder and louder, but both the hoodie man and Mike stood still, frozen, as they watched Phil's entire arm dig through the man's back and out of his chest, ripping through his bones, muscles, and organs. The man's scream faded off as he died, and Phil removed his arm with a meaty sucking sound, then flicked the blood off his arm onto the floor. 
The hoodie man ran to Phil. He grabbed Phil by the back of the head and started stabbing him in the chest just like before. This time, though, it wasn't working. The blade was useless. It went in and out of him like raw meat. Phil caught him off guard and grabbed him right by the balls. When the hoodie man screamed, he forced his hand inside of his mouth. The pain made his knees buckle, and when he was down on the floor, Phil forced the other hand down his mouth and snapped his jaw off his skull with a hard break. He dropped the jaw from his hand and twisted the neck around, then let the man fall to the floor. Mike was cowering in the corner of his own living room. Phil looked at him through dead eyes, stepping towards him. You know, I stopped ditching. I stopped scratching. I feel a lot better now. I mean, I don't feel great. Not how I felt before I took that shit you gave me. It felt pretty horrible though, Mike. The itching, the scratching. Do you want to know what it felt like, Mike? Phil was now standing over Mike, who had shrunk and compressed himself back into the corner. He had wet himself at some point and was sitting in his own urine. Phil spoke. It felt like... It felt like... This. Phil raked his broken, blood-stained fingernails in a fury up and down Mike's skin as he screamed in the corner of his living room. He scratched and picked and tore at Mike until he was a mess of shredded skin hanging off his bones. It didn't take long for the police to show up with all the commotion, and when they kicked in the door with guns drawn, they found nothing more than three mutilated bodies laying like a mess of bloody deli meat on the floor. As sections of the apartment were quartered off and more and more police, fire, and rescue units showed up, Phil found himself standing at the edge of the park he had passed on the way over to Mike's, his hands still soaked in fresh blood. He didn't know how he had come to the spot from where he was just at, but did know something pulled at him from here, something from the trees and grass that emanated a strange but familiar feeling. Glowing eyes that no one but him would be able to see blinked at him from the dark, and he stepped in to join them. You have been listening to Try Some, Die Some, written and performed by myself, Nicholas Goris. Background ambience provided by Tabletop Audio. Support them at tabletopaudio.com. End music provided by bensound.com. Please let us know if you're enjoying the show by subscribing and follow us on Instagram. You have been listening to.